You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We're in a sermon series. We're talking about stepping forward with wisdom, which is also part of a larger theme for the year that we've been talking about um, the idea of keeping in step with the Spirit. The passage, our key passage in Galatians 5.25, you've heard this every week, is since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that assumes something, doesn't it? It assumes that we're living by the Spirit. You're living by the Spirit in that chapter of Galatians. It talks about you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit and all those wonderful things. But when you're out of step with the Spirit, you're going to be succumbing to the temptations of the flesh. So let's talk about today, if we are to live by the Spirit, what does that look like? In this series, we talked about stepping forward with, with wisdom, with our minds, with our bodies last week. We're going to be talking about our words and our time in the coming weeks. But today, we want to talk about finances and being wise with our finances, specifically about the wisdom of generosity. And I want to begin by telling a story about Stephen King, the author Stephen King. I don't know if you know about Stephen King. If you don't know him, he's written like over 50 suspense novels. I think he sold almost 400 million copies. Uh, Movies have been made from his novels, movies like The Shawshank Redemption, movies like uh, It, one of the first ones that turned into was The Shining. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily recommend going to see all those movies. It's just, this is who we're talking about this morning. A couple things about Stephen King. Um, he's a maniac, meaning he's from Maine, okay? Uh, and uh, he's, he's a raving Red Sox fan, uh, goes to all the games. He's a bit of a musician. He and other authors have this band, and they're not so bad, apparently, He's also a recovering alcoholic, but do you know that he is this outspoken advocate of generosity? And here's the reason why. Back, I think it was in 99, he was walking along the road near his home in Maine, and uh, a van was coming down the road, and the driver of the van got distracted, and he veered off the road, and he hit Stephen King as he was walking. Almost killed him. And... uh, After he recovered a bit, he spoke at the commencement address at Vassar College. To say that that accident was a wake-up call to him is an understatement. I want you to listen to what he said in this speech to graduating college students, quoting Stephen King. He said, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying on the ditch on the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans, like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, but on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. He said... We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett's going to go out broke. Bill Gates is going out broke. Tom Hanks is going out broke. Steve King, broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. 
So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please. Right now, we have the power to do great good for others. And so I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. And I think you will find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more than you ever dreamed. What a great message. You'd think he was preaching from the Bible, wouldn't you? You never thought you'd come to church and hear me quote from Stephen King, did you? So, uh, um, But here's the idea. As I said, you never grow poorer when you're generous toward others. Today, I want to take a look at a parable that Jesus told. I don't think I've ever preached from this whole parable. I might have preached from one of the verses, but... Um, it's a difficult parable. Many of the people, the people say this is one of the most difficult uh, parables. Not because it's difficult to understand. It's just that it's a strange story that Jesus told to make a point. And I think you understand it. It's puzzling because Jesus seems to applaud this shady character to teach us the virtues of being generous. And it's found in Luke chapter 16. If you have your scripture, if you have your Bible in a digital or you have a Bible with you, if you have the Riverside app, you can always follow along in there, the notes that are there, and you can take notes and write in and fill in the blanks if you want. So Luke chapter 16, listen to this parable that Jesus tells. Now a parable, let me just say up front, it's not a true story, it's a fable. It's, it's a story to make a point. It's a metaphor. It's something that makes a particular point. So, so listen to what Jesus told his disciples one day. He said, there's a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money, and so the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, hmm, now what? The boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. And so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss his situation. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager said, take the bill, quickly change it to 400 gallons. The next person, how much do you owe my employer? He asked him, and he said, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. And the manager said, here, take that and change it to 800 bushels. And this is the point Jesus was making. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. That's the point of it, okay? But it's the story to get to that point that just is kind of an odd story that Jesus would tell. But from this story, there's several wise thoughts 
about generosity that I want us to sort of get a hold of today. And the first thought is this. When it comes to investing your generosity, invest it wisely. Invest it wisely. So let's talk about this man. Shady character. Was he shrewd? Was he crooked? Was he a little bit of both? The title in my Bible for this titles it the parable of the shrewd manager. But yet the rich man admired him, this dishonest rascal, for being so shrewd. And so it's a strange parable because one might think that Jesus is applauding his dishonesty, but that's really not the case. It's not called the parable of the dishonest or the crooked manager. It's the shrewd manager. What does shrewd mean? A person who's shrewd. One of the dictionary definitions is astute or sharp in practical matters. Astute or sharp in practical matters. Sounds like wisdom to me. Maybe it's streetwise wisdom, but it's wisdom nonetheless. So what's happening in this story? Maybe, maybe you listen to it and you're thinking, this man sounds like a crook to me. Here's a guy who's stealing from the, the boss. Um, maybe, you know, he's shaving a little bit of something off their bills. He's cooking the books. He's cheating his boss out of the profit. What's commendable about that? Well, here's one of the reasons that, that I understand that it might have made sense to the people in Jesus's day that it doesn't make sense to us. Because one of the common practices, as I understand it, is that Often a manager who is working for an employer who sold and, and traded his employer's things was able to build his commission into the sale price, right? Salesmen today get commissions. But in those days, your commission was whatever you could add to the sale price. So if it sells for 800, <clears throat> if they're trading for 800 gallons of oil, he can say, well, you know, or... 500, then he said, well, hey, I can try to sell it for 1,000 and I'll keep the difference. That's how I'm going to make my living. And so the same with the wheat and yada, yada. So, so what really is happening here is not that this shrewd manager is giving away his employer's portion of the money. He's giving his money away. He's giving his commission away. And in so doing, these people are getting a rock bottom price for whatever it was that they were buying from his employer. And in so doing, the shrewd manager is making some good friends by selling them something at a rock bottom price because he said, I'm out of a job. I need friends to help me out. And the point, the spiritual point that Jesus is making here is that when we are generous to other people with the, whatever God gives us, if we're able to be generous for God's causes, that we will be welcomed into eternity with open arms by those who we have blessed by our generosity. There was a song years ago that went, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am alive because you gave. It's about, you know, when we die and go to heaven and the people that have been touched by what we give are able to go back and say, you know what, because you put that money in the offering, because you supported that missions endeavor, I came to know Christ. I was able to survive another day. I was able to get an education. I was able to, and because you gave, I'm alive. I was able to survive. So wouldn't it be great if we could see the results of that when we, when, when we get to heaven? And that's sort of the point that Jesus is making here. 
So it's wise to invest my money and my efforts to extend God's love and mercy to others because these people are going to end up in God's kingdom and they'll welcome me with open arms. But there's another truth to this, and it's the very practical truth that you reap what you sow. If you're a generous person, you find yourself in need, people will be generous to you also. So be wise in your generosity. Jesus is teaching us to focus our generosity on God-honoring causes. Because there's no value in giving money away just to give money away. I heard of a woman who left her $15 million estate to her cat. What good is that? What, you know, it's going to be given away whether you choose to give it away or not. Someone else will get it. That's the point of Ecclesiastes, right? It's all fleeting. It's all vain. It's just going to go to somebody else who didn't work for it. So why not invest it wisely? So when it comes to your generosity, can I just give you a couple rules of thumb? When, you, when, you, when you're, when you're going to give away, ask yourself, is this forwarding God's purposes on earth? Is this charity that I'm giving to? Is this project that I'm giving to? Is this person that I'm helping? Is this part of God's plan and purposes on earth? Does it help somebody find and follow Jesus? Is it going to be good news to the poor, heal the sick, set the oppressed free, proclaim the good news of Jesus? These are some good rules of thumb when it comes to what you're giving your resources toward. And so the big point here is invest wisely in God and others so that someday you'll be welcomed into an eternal home. Because Lord knows there's plenty of places that are vying for your resources and for your attention and your money. A lot of things out there that are, that, are, that are offered for you, but it doesn't provide a return. It might be stuff that you buy that thinks going to give you return, but after you have it, it's like, that didn't make me happy. That didn't make my life more fulfilling. Now I just have more stuff to worry about. So, so when it comes to investing, investing in wise things, and that's why today I have no qualms about inviting you to invest through Convoy of Hope, and I use the word through intentionally, because I've, I've coined the phrase, we don't give to Convoy of Hope, we give through Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is a conduit of your compassion. It's a conduit of your generosity. I know Convoy of Hope well. Hal Donaldson, who you just saw as a friend, he's a person who has the utmost of integrity. He and his two brothers and sister, when they were just children, elementary age, their father was a pastor. One day, the father and mother were driving to the church for a board meeting, and a drunk driver totaled uh, them, well, killed their father, and their mother was broke almost every bone in her body and was in the hospital for months. No insurance. No company to provide an income for them. A family that lived in a mobile home invited them to come in and move with them and live with them and help them live through those very, very difficult months and years. And when Howe and his brothers and sister got a little bit older and graduated from college, they said, you know what? So many people helped us. I think we should do something. And so they just started getting some pickup trucks buying groceries, taking them down to a poor part of town 
and blessing people and inviting them to come to church. That's the origin of Convoy of Hope back in 1994. And since that time, it has grown to now it is one of the best organizations around the world to provide disaster relief, to provide feeding for children, to provide agricultural education and training for farmers to be able to sustain. It's, uh, it's helping to empower women in countries to be able to have an income to provide for their families uh, and so much more. I, I got to know them personally back in 2002 whenever I was invited to go on a lead trip to Macedonia, the poorest country in Europe. And we did, they did an outreach on the outskirts of Skopje, the capital city of Macedonia. <clears throat> and that was the first time that I came face to face or in real contact with extreme poverty. And when I say extreme poverty, I mean extreme poverty. The community they were reaching out to was the Roma population, people that are undocumented in Europe. They don't have a nation. They don't have an identity. They can't get jobs. And uh, you would know them as gypsies is, is the pejorative term that people call. And uh, this outreach was just unbelievable. And I got to see what they were doing firsthand. That's just one thing. Next year, I was talking. I was at another gathering with them. And I heard a pastor from Northern California come up with his idea. He did it with his church just a few weeks prior to the time I talked to him. He said, you know, we thought about what could we do? And so we thought for Thanksgiving, we're going to, give a, we're going to be grateful and we're going to show our gratitude by encouraging people, everybody in the church from the youngest to the oldest, no matter what kind of job you had or what kind of income you had, to just say, you know what, of all the days of the year that you work, just work one day for somebody else. Give that one day away for somebody that will never have the opportunity that you will have. Never have the education, never have the abilities, never have the freedoms that you have to be able to do that. How much would it be for us to just take one day's wages and let's give it away to people that will make an eternal difference in their lives? And so they did that and he just was blown away by what happened. Not just the amount that came in, but the enthusiasm and the change that that brought to the people of their church when they realized that today I'm working for somebody other than myself. I'm going to be purely selfless today and give it away to somebody else. I was sitting and hearing that conversation. Rick Rosenberg, a friend of mine who pastors in Cincinnati, was sitting there. I turned to Rick and he looked at me and said, I think we could do that. So we did it. And then it caught on. And churches all around the country and even around the world now are doing this. And, and it's one of the many ways that Convoy is being able to support and do what they're doing. Um, I've seen firsthand in Kenya, in Haiti, in, uh, in, in Portugal. I've seen firsthand uh, in, in other places, in, in New Orleans. This year they've been doing yeoman, yeoman's work in Texas, in Florida, and in Puerto Rico. And, um, and, and, and many of you have been on some of the, the mission trips where you've seen them at work. But what's so cool about what they're doing is um, um, right now, I think 160,000 children every day are being fed every school day. Their philosophy is this. We're going to provide a meal for students within the context of a school. Kids, for many of these kids, it's the only meal they'll have that day. 
It's a meal that their mother and father don't have to provide for because they have other kids to care for. And so it helps the family in that way. The other thing about that is it gets them into school because if they didn't have a meal, they would be forced to go out and beg or work in the streets or do whatever they could to survive. So it gets them into school and it makes sure that they get an education, which only helps to elevate them so that they can help break the cycle of poverty. Uh, it's, new, it's, it's fortified food that, that gives them nutrition. So it feeds their bodies and their brains. Their slogan is, hope begins with a meal, and it just goes from there. And we get to be a part of this wise investment. What else is cool about supporting them in this way is that what we give in an offering is multiplied in value because the food that they deliver and the medical supplies that they deliver are donated to Convoy of Hope by corporations, by, by nonprofits that, that specialize in these things. So what you give, it's not like if you could go out and buy, you know, $100 worth of food and put it on a, on, a, on, a, on a shipping container and ship it to one of these places of the world, how much of that is going to really, really value? But now what we're paying for is basically the shipping costs to take these supplies to the people. So they figure out it's about seven times the value in actual provisions for people and what you give in your offering. That's why I love this organization. I've been on a national committee with them. I know them from top to bottom. And um, they are uh, highly rated, four-star rating, the top you can get by charity navigators for years at the very, from the very beginning. Because... 90% of every dollar goes directly to the people that you're giving to. Many charities, I don't know if you know, many of the charities that you see on television, the commercials, half of the money you give is to pay for that commercial and for all the fundraising that they do. Whereas Convoy of Hope, 10% is to pay for the helping to raise the funds and to provide for the staff. And 90% of it goes away. There are very few charities that do that. But like I said, that's why there are conduit. We don't give to them, we give through them to others. And, and on average, a $120 donation will feed a child for an entire year through Convoy of Hope. That's fantastic. But that's only one day a year that we do this. We're, we're asked to invest our generosity wisely. But today I want to talk not just about one day. I want to talk about a life of generosity. How do we live a life of generosity? Jesus goes on after this parable in the next couple of verses to say the following. He says, if you're faithful in, a little, in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth... Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful in other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? So if you're wise with your generosity, you're going to invest wisely and, and you're going to be trustworthy. You're going to be responsible. You're going to be faithful. And, and the idea of being trustworthy implies that you're accountable to somebody else. Right? It implies that, that, that you're not the owner. 
Jesus infers that his listeners are entrusted with somebody else's property and they need to prove themselves trustworthy because it doesn't belong to them. Last week, we talked about honoring God with our bodies, as Jesus said, he said, or as Paul wrote, when, when, when Paul said um, that we are not our own, we are bought with a price. And so if we're bought with a price and we're not our own, everything we have is a gift. Everything we are is a gift. All that we have is a gift. And so trustworthy and a, a trustworthy investor is responsible and faithful with what they've given. To whom much is given, much is expected. And I, I make you a promise today. I don't even know if I need to do this. I shouldn't need to do it. But if you're curious, I promise you that I will never invite you to give to something or someone that I personally don't give to and that I don't have firsthand knowledge of where that goes. Because I want to be a good steward of all the resources that we have. I feel like as a lead pastor, I am accountable to what I invite you to give to. And I'm responsible with how I encourage us to be a community that honors God. So I am very, very careful about the things that I will invite you to give to. But we don't just give to other ministries outside the church, one of the most responsible things you can do is support your local church. Why? Because you see where it goes, right? I mean, you invest in this, you see the children walk downstairs, and you know that there are people who love them down there, who care about them, who are teaching them lessons and putting seeds in their hearts about how much there is a God who loves them, who cares for them, who knows them, who wants their best, who teaches them that in this world that there are ways that will be beneficial for you to live and ways that can be harmful for you. They're reinforcing what you as parents are wanting your kids to know and they're helping your kids to grow up in a way in which in this world where there are so many ways that people can fall out of step with the Spirit, how can we do that? week after week, teenagers coming from schools all around this area and families all around this area are meeting together, kids who are tempted more today than ever before and have more easy access today to things that can get them into trouble than ever before are being reinforced every week at Nexus by uh, uh, people who love them and care about them, volunteers and staff who are teaching them how to live in a world where they have so many options to go wrong, what it is to go right, and how to live right and reinforce and support them. Young adults are meeting every week in, in, down at the table when they're at this critical time of life and starting to find out who am I? What am I going to do with my life? How am I going to get into a career? Let's talk about what scripture says about how to live rightly. You see what's going on when you give, where that's going. You're sitting in a place. You are being able to worship here and at the mills and, and, and a place where you're glad to invite somebody to come. You're able to hear a message and hear music that's going to connect with people of this generation. You see firsthand what you do. So this is why we invite you week after week. Let's give to God because you're trustworthy and responsible with what your generosity goes toward. And if you don't come to this church, I challenge you, 
Be responsible and be generous with your local church, wherever that is, so that you can take ownership. You see what's happening there. Every dollar you invest goes to changing lives. And it's not just giving financially. There are so many other ways that you can live a generous life beyond just financial support. I mean, you could cook a turkey this week for the community meal, dinner that we provide in Verona. You could be ringing a bell to help people support through Salvation Army. You can, you can give a few groceries. You can donate your winter clothes that are barely used and worn out, but because you like new things, give away your other things and let people benefit from that. You can spend a morning loading furniture in someone's truck to help provide furniture to people that are destitute. I mean, there are so many ways. You can jump on board to help provide meals on wheels and deliver meals on wheels. That We are not just here to support the ministries of this church. We're here to help provide ways for people to bless people through our community services that are doing great things, blessing people in Jesus' name. It's not about Riverside. It's about being a people who are reflecting God's generosity because God's been so generous to us. There's no lack of opportunity to invest yourself wisely, to be trustworthy and faithful and loyal. One other verse Jesus says here at the end in verse 13, he says, no one can serve two masters for he'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. And that's the thing. Generosity frees you. Generosity does more for you, I would say, than it does for the people that you give to. It, it's good for your heart. We need to be undivided. We need to be devoted. That's the third truth I want you to walk away from. Jesus said elsewhere, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And, and that's the wisdom of generosity. Generosity is good for your heart. It's good for your heart. It's good for your soul. Why invest in missions? Why give money to people over there when there are hurting people here? Yes, that's true, but you should do both. <laughs> Why go on a mission trip? Why spend all the thousands of dollars to, to fly yourself overseas and partner with a missionary and do something kind for a few days when you could give that money away and maybe it would benefit them more? But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered firsthand Seeing it myself makes me more compassionate about what that missionary does, and I'm able to support them with knowledge, with insight, with experience. I am invested now because I've seen it firsthand, and because I'm invested, I pray more, I care more, I give more, I know more. You see it firsthand. You're not just hearing it from me or from somebody else. Generosity is good for your heart. Generosity makes me more like God for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave. Well, if he gave, I'm going to take. Yeah. We do take a lot from God. Our souls are saved. Our sins are forgiven. Our guilt is removed. Our shame is forgotten. It's gone. I'll take all of that from God. And I will be blessed to overflowing. And as I'm blessed, my cup overflows. I want to bless others. 
You see, the problem is a lot of people aren't filled up with God and they feel like them, their souls are half empty. They feel like their cups are half empty. You know, and a person who lives life with a sense of neediness and victimization and, and, and my cup is half empty will never be a generous person. It begins by getting filled up with God and filled up with the Spirit of God. And you can be a very poor person and far more generous than the person that has a lot more money than you and feels like there's somebody else who has more and they need to get more. As Stephen King said, they will die just as poor as you. And last point, generosity gets me more invested. I touched on that already. When you're invested, you're a stockholder and you're a stakeholder, right? You're a stockholder. When you, when you buy stocks, you own the stocks, right? If you own the stocks, then they always send you, you know, if you can elect who's going to be the, uh, the director, who's going to be, you know, who's going who's gonna to who's gonna control those monies because you're an owner, you're an owner. And when you invest in God's kingdom, when you invest in your local church, when you invest in ministries, you take ownership. You're more caring. You're more concerned. You see the value. You get involved. You want it to succeed. You want it to grow. You get involved. When you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You'll, be, you'll, you'll have ownership of it. You'll pray more for it. You'll volunteer more for it. So get involved. Pray. Volunteer. Step up. Let's all be invested. Imagine. Imagine if you were fully, wisely invested in God and others. That with wisdom and conscience, you said, God, I want my life, as Stephen King said, to be one long gift to others. Imagine if you could have that mindset. How many people would be blessed by you? And how many people would love you? You don't do it to get that, but that's part of the shrewd manager's philosophy was, if I'm generous, then they'll be generous to me. You do reap what you sow, you know that, right? Takers never have enough. Givers always have more to give. I'd rather be a giver than a taker. But when you give, it comes back to you, pressed down, shaken, or shaken and running over, whatever that scripture says. What if all of us here were like that? What if all of us were wisely invested into God and other people? What if we all took that seriously? And we could, if everybody at Riverside said, God, we're just going to, be this place that's just overflowing with generosity. We can bless more, do more, bless our communities, help others, be that place that people walk in and they just sense that this is a place of abundance for them, that this people care for them. Now let's really imagine, let's stretch our imaginations. What if everybody was like that? How much better would our world be if everybody was just filled with this mindset of wise generosity. What could we do? What could happen? What would this world be like? Jesus said there will be a day where there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more mourning, no more shootings, no more politics, no more negativity. There will be a place that's filled with generosity. It's called heaven. But Jesus said, God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, 
Could this prayer be your prayer? Can you just sort of repeat it in your heart after me? Say something like, God, thank you for all that I am and all that I have. Would you just say that in your heart right now? God, I thank you. I am so blessed. I am so blessed. It's easy to look at others that have more and say, I don't have enough and feel that that sense of envy and greed. But God, help us to pause on this Thanksgiving day and say, God, I have so much. I'm so blessed. God, I want to be a more trustworthy steward of these blessings. Help me invest wisely in things that have eternal significance. Help me to be wise in the ways that help the hungry and the hurting and bring people to Jesus. God, may I be wise with my finances so that I can be more generous toward you. God, here we are. Living sacrifices. Offering ourselves to you. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we would know your good and perfect and pleasing will. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.